what encouraged us was that we were suffering we knew that we were suffering in that dark place only because of the name of Jesus Christ and it was his love and presence that helped us to remain faithful to the end Iran's reputation for the imprisonment torture and murder of Christians has come to light through the witness and testimony of its followers FRC was blessed to hear the testimony of three women who endured these persecutions Maryam Rastampour and Marzia Amarizadeh are Christian converts from Muslim backgrounds. They started underground Christian communities and houses and were both arrested and spent nearly nine months in the notorious Evan prison in Tehran. They share their story in the book, Captive in Iran. Debrina Bet-Tamraz is the daughter of Iranian pastor Victor Bet-Tamraz, who led a church in Iran until it was shut down. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, while Debrina's mother and brother are also in prison, awaiting the results of their appeals. Let's hear their stories. We both would like to thank the Family Research Council for holding this event on the subject of Iran's religious freedom and persecution of Christians. We are so honored to be invited to this event and have the opportunity to share with you our own personal experiences and also to bring awareness about the current condition of uh, persecuted Christians and the human rights violations they experience in Iran. We were both born and raised in Iran, an Islamic country, where religious laws and regulations always stop people from knowing the truth. The Iranian regime tries to brainwash people from very young age. For example, at the schools, children are forced to follow and practice the Islamic rules every single day and read the Quran or other Islamic books in Arabic, which is not our official language, Farsi. They also have to pray namaz to show they are good and dedicated Muslims. Children are forced to stand in lines and say dead to America and dead to Israel before going to their classrooms. If they refuse, they will face severe punishments such as being banned from going to school. Every single person who lives in Iran has to follow the Islamic rules, otherwise they will lose their public benefits and would face persecution in all aspects of their lives. Growing up in an Islamic country like Iran is even worse for women who according to the Islamic rules and the Quran do not have equal rights with men. As two women who lived in Iran for many years and experienced the harsh rules of Islam, we had many questions about, um, about other religions. We had questions about Islamic theology and Sharia law as well. We were not allowed to ask any questions and we could only access other religions texts through illegal ways. However, since we were both thirsty to know the truth about God, great miracles happened to us individually. And God himself ha has revealed the truth to us. That's why we became Christians as young adults. In 2005, we met for the first time while studying leadership and attending um, Christian seminars in Turkey. Then we returned to Iran to share our faiths with many Iranians who, like us, were thirsty to know the truth about God. For four years, we were involved in mission work. We were evangelizing Iranians, have distributed 20,000 Bibles, and we were leading house churches. Finally, in 2009, we were arrested by the Islamic Republic's authorities because of our Christian faith. We were threatened and indicted with execution by hanging for charges of apostasy, blasphemy, and promoting Christianity in Iran. We have spent 259 days in Evin, one of the most notorious prisons in Iran. We were subjected to interrogations while being blindfolded and went through daily psychological torture and stress. For the first 14 days of our imprisonment, they sent us to a detention center called Wozara. 
we were not allowed to have any contact with our family members. For a long time, they didn't even know we were in prison. The guards' behavior was so inhumane, and their threats were shocking to us. Several times, we were threatened to physical torture by our interrogators. They would tell us that you should give us all the information we need, otherwise we will beat you until you vomit blood. Also, the condition in that detention center was horrifying. We were, we were detained in a very small, dark and dirty cell that was like a big cage. For days, we slept on a cold floor with no carpet. We had to cover ourselves with blankets full of urine, and for days, we had no food or drinking water. We and other inmates in detention couldn't even get feminine hygiene products and didn't have access to medical care and medications. In that detention center, we met several women whose lives were destroyed by the Islamic Republic regime. Several of them were tortured physically and were, were raped by government agents and went through psychological pressures in the court. We had the opportunity of praying for them and sharing our faith in Jesus with them. Most of them were so open to the message of Christianity and wanted to hear about God's forgiveness and love. We believe one of God's purposes for sending us to that dark place was to share the message of hope with many women who were victims of the wrong rules of Islam and experienced harsh suppression and violence by the regime. After 14 days being in that detention center, we were transferred to Evin Prison, which is notorious for arresting, torturing, raping, and executing of many innocent people. In Evin Prison, we witnessed many injustices, such as persecution and imprisonment of other religious minorities, tortures and execution of innocent people, imprisonment of political prisoners, including university students, journalists, and lawyers. And we witnessed so many other human rights violations. We shared some of those injustices we witnessed in our book, Captive in Iran. Even inside Evin prison, we were discriminated and treated differently by the guards and by some other prisoners, only because we were Christians. In the public ward, we were called dirty and infidels for months. We were threatened to physical torture, and also the guards would encourage radical Muslims inside prison to insult us. We could not use other prison facilities such as library that other prisoners were allowed to use. Doctors refused to visit us or give us any medications when we were sick as soon as they learned we were Christians. And we were forced to participate in Islamic prayers and didn't have access to Bible. Also, we have witnessed the guards were physically abusing and beating prisoners and taking innocent women who were our cellmates for execution by hanging which was a big psychological torture for us. Our worst experience was the execution of our best friend, Shirin Alamhuli, who was a political prisoner as, and was only 27 years old. For months, she was physically tortured by the IRGC and was not allowed to have a lawyer. Shirin was a Kurdish girl who could not even speak Farsi during her interrogation, but the IRGC guards brutally tortured her, and after, taking her in, after keeping her in prison for years, they eventually hung her in 2010. Today, after 10 years, it is still hard for us to forget the tortures and execution of our best friend and many other injustices we witnessed inside Evin prison. In Evin, we were also transferred to the 209 section, which was a security building in which they torture and interrogate political prisoners. 
In that building, they separated us for 40 days. We were put in solitary cells with another political prisoners. In those cells, we could hardly move. They had no window, and we could not see the sunlight or get any fresh air. There was only a light that was on 24 hours a day, and it was hard to, to tell whether it was night or day. Even for going to the bathroom, we had to be blindfolded and escorted by a guard. In that section, almost every day, we could hear the cries of other prisoners who were being beaten and tortured by the guards, which was a mental torture for us. Once a week, we were being interrogated by two interrogators for seven to eight hours. Before going to the room for interrogation, we had to stand in front of a wall, blindfolded for an hour. During our interrogations, they would put pressure on us to deny our faith in Jesus Christ and convert back to Islam. They would constantly threaten us to execution, and also they would threaten our family members. Several times, our interrogators threatened that they could arrest and bring our families to prison or hurt them outside prison. We would hear the same threats from our judges during all our trials. Several times they told us that we could, we could be free only if we converted back to Islam. Also, we were not allowed to have access to a lawyer because they wanted to put maximum pressure on us and force us to false confessions, to use them against us later in the court. So under this condition that I just described, for months, we were completely isolated, and we thought we were co completely forgotten by the world outside. However, what encouraged us was that we were suffering, we knew that we were suffering in that dark place only because of the name of Jesus Christ. And it was his love and presence that helped us to remain faithful to the end. Today, we give all the glory to Jesus who saved us from the Iranian government. Uh, we believe we are free and alive because of Jesus' power and his miracles. Every day we could see how Jesus was protecting us, giving us strength to endure those difficult situations, and was making many miracles among prisoners and even guards through our prayers. Also during our imprisonment, we have received many supports from Christian organizations and believers all around the world who were praying for us, spreading the news of our imprisonment, and were advocating for our release. In addition, many people were supporting us by sending letters to prison. We heard from some prison authorities that every day they were receiving about 40 to 50 letters for us, which made the prison authorities furious. They didn't give us even one of those letters to read, but it was a great encouragement for us to hear that people were supporting us and, were, and we were not alone in that prison. As a result of all these supports, the prison authorities could not torture us physically because they knew that, the, that people from all around the world were watching them. In addition, some international organizations such as the UN and Amnesty International and several government officials of different countries got involved and put pressure on the Iranian government to release us. Also during the last month that we were in prison, we heard from Tehran's chief prosecutor that the government had received a letter from, from the Pope Benedict asking for our release. Eventually, as a result of all these pressures, the Iranian authorities had to release us unlike their desire. But before we left prison, we were threatened by the intelligence officers that they were going to watch us daily and we were not allowed to have any Christian activities. 
They directly threatened us and mentioned that they could not guarantee our safety and security outside Evin prison if we decide to continue living in Iran. They gave us some examples of the pastors, such as Pastor Haik and Dibaj, who in the past were secretly killed after Dibaj got released from prison because of the international pressures. Some of their threats were that we might die in an accident or our home may catch on fire accidentally. This has been the Iranian government's tactic for many years. When they are forced to release prisoners under the international pressures, they find other ways to hurt them or their families, and in some cases to kill them outside prison without directly being involved or forced to accept the blame and consequences. Therefore, the authorities will be able to hide their crimes and violations of human rights, and the international community and human rights organizations will not be able to condemn or punish them for these violations. As a result of receiving all these threats from our interrogators and judges, we were forced to leave the country in 2010 and, and came to the United States. In recent years, unfortunately, the human rights violations, especially the persecution of religious minorities, have increased. Since Islam is the official religion in Iran, government authorities forbid other religious minorities from practicing their faith. According to the reports that have been published by different Christian organizations and human rights organizations about the condition of Christians in Iran, the Iranian regime has increased the arrest of Christians as well. All churches that had held services in Farsi have been closed. Their, their leaders uh, were arrested and their properties have been confiscated. Many house churches were also attacked by revolutionary guards and their members were arrested. However, despite Christianity being criminalized in Iran and increasing pressure uh, on the converts, Christianity is spreading because majority of people are tired of this corrupted regime and they are fighting for freedom and democracy. According to many reports, underground church in Iran is one of the fastest growing in the world. It is unclear how many Iranians have converted to Christianity. Some Christian organizations reported that there are about hundreds and thousands of convert Christians. According to our personal experience, majority of Iranians are open to the message of Christianity. During the four years we were evangelizing people in Iran, we could see that, the, that most of them were so receptive to hear about Christianity and read the Bible. We believe the numbers of converts in Iran is much more than what we see in the statistics. Majority of Christians who have been arrested in recent years are those who had converted from Islam to Christianity. Individuals who have converted are considered infidel and dirty and are subjected to extreme forms of persecution. Muslims who leave Islam face death penalty and have to endure physical and mental tortures. Since the past few years, hundreds of Christians have been arrested by the Iranian authorities and charged with disrupting national security for being a Christian and participating in home churches and would receive prison sentences of between 2 to 15 years. Some of them are forced by the government to leave their home country. Even if they decide to stay in Iran, they can't live as Christians anymore. They can't practice their faith, have relationship with other Christians, or, or participate in house churches. 
The government has arrested Armenian and Assyrian Christians as well. They monitor their activities and those who have been arrested face physical and psychological tortures and long hours of interrogations. They are treated as second-class citizens and are forbidden from ministering to people from Muslim background and preach the gospel in Farsi, Iran's official language. Even those Christians who are not in prison or have not activities have to hide their faith, otherwise they will risk their lives and may lose their public benefits. One of the ways that the Iranian regime uses to persecute Christians is to refuse to enroll Christian children unless they agree to attend in Islamic classes and learn about Quran. Also, the Iranian regime sends uh, those who converted from Islam to Christianity to the re-education classes with a Muslim cleric. Moreover, the authorities usually fire Christians from their jobs or expel them from their universities and confiscate their properties. Prison experience and persecution is an experience that will affect people's whole life. Our nine months prison experience has affected all aspects of our life. We have suffered physical and mental pain that have stayed with us even until today. We have witnessed firsthand how the Iranian regime arrested thousands of young people, brought them to prison, tortured them both physically and mentally, and forced them to false confessions. Prisons room were packed with women, most of whom were victims of the Iranian regime. It is very heartbreaking for us to hear that such atrocities have been happening over and over in the past few years. Since we personally experienced the cruelty of the Iranian regime, we are very concerned about the conditions of those who are in prison these days, especially Christians. Today, more than any time, religious minorities in Iran need the support of the international community, human rights organizations, and the United States that values freedom and human rights more than other countries. We believe that the United States can play a big role in supporting the religious minorities and those who are under persecution in Iran. The first step is, uh, to help is to identify those who are in prisons because of their faith and then try to bring awareness and spread the news about their cases. Publicizing the cases can at least protect prisoners from being physically tortured and coerced to false confessions. Also sanctioning individuals, entities, judges, and those who are responsible for persecuting religious minorities is another way to support the religious minorities in Iran. In addition, the US can put travel ban on government officials, many judges, laws, and as well as their family members who support religious persecution and the enforcement of Sharia law in Iran. Besides, the U.S. can encourage the European allies to emphasize the importance of human rights and religious freedom when negotiating a deal with Iran. Putting pressure on the Iranian regime requires an international effort. The United States as a world power can play a major role in asking the international community, such as the U.N. and other European countries to hold the Iranian regime accountable for violations of human rights and ignoring the rights of religious minorities. As, as two people who lived under persecution and are still affected directly, we would like to encourage each one of you to give more attention to Iran's human rights situation and the issues of religious persecution. We hope for a day that the, all Iranian people from any religion or ethnicity can live together in peace 
without having the fear of getting harassed, arrested, tortured, or killed by the Iranian government. Thank you so much, and God bless you. And I've read your book. Your story is so powerful. I do recommend. I will plug it for you. Um, Sabrina, your family is actually still experiencing persecution in Iran. Why don't you tell us your story? Yeah. On 30th March 2009, it was a Monday morning. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. The government called our home and told my father to go to the church. We kind of knew what was going to happen. Passes were at our place. We went to the church. There were lots of cars, um, armies, quite big men standing at the church in case we were going to protest or act. They told us um, we have a choice either keep the church for only Assyrian speaking members or give up the keys. We asked for a couple of hours time to go in, pray, and we said we'll come out with our decision. We went inside of the church, prayed. Um, my father came out. He had the whole bunch of keys in his hand. He went to this um, official from the MYS, the intelligence service, put the keys in his hand and said, thank you very much. You've done us a great deal of favor. I don't know how to thank you. Please close down the church. He looked at my dad and said, are you crazy? Why do you say thank you? My father said, during the prayer time, we heard something from God. And he said, let them close the church. Because when they close one building, one door, I'm going to open the gates of heaven. If they arrest one or two of you, I will release people on the streets who will shout hallelujah. Let them close the church. So my father said, thank you. Because I can't wait for God to open the gates of heaven for people to shout hallelujah on the street. Mariam and Marzia just mentioned, Iran is the fastest growing Christianity church in the world. And most of them are meeting Christ in person through dreams, through visions, they hear him, they see him. Can I tell you one story? One of our members, one non-Christian Muslim young boy, fall down during work from a third floor. He broke down every bone in his body. The mother calls the older brother, who is a Christian, and said, your brother is in hospital. Doctor says he's not going to make it till morning. He will die. Come quickly to the hospital to just say goodbye. The brother says, Mom, I'll, I'll come, but I'll come in the morning. She says, your brother is dying now. If you want to say goodbye, come. He says, Mom, I'll come in the morning. I'll see you then. Hangs up the phone, calls up the small group, says, my brother's in the hospital. Let's get together. Let's pray. It was 12 o'clock at night. They get together, they pray. At 3 o'clock in the morning, one of our members sees a vision of Christ going into that hospital room and healing every broken bone. He said, I could even hear how the bones were cracked into the right place. He said, well, let's stop praying for, for healing. Let's just thank God for what he has done. In the morning, the brother goes to the hospital. 
goes into the room of his younger brother. Laying there, he looks at his older brother and says, you know and I know what happened last night. You know and I know who was here last night. I saw him. I believe in him. This is something very small that we have experienced daily. We can write so many books of what God is doing today in Muslim countries. When MBBs, ex-Muslims meet each other, they often say, have you seen the white man? Have you seen Jesus? As the Christianity grows in the country, so is persecution. In 2009, most of the Christians have been subjected to hate speeches from clergy to politicians, harassments, confiscation from their properties, uh, from their houses, from their personal, um, I have to see the words, belongings, sorry from the personal belongings, they've been threatened of criminal charges. At least 57 Christians were arrested in 2019. 13 of them sentenced to four to five years in prison. 48 other Christians who've been um, sentenced to prison in previous years are still waiting for their court hearings. The Iranian intelligence uh, service closely monitors Christians activity and together with Revolutionary Guard are arresting all attendees. They raid Christian gatherings at homes, restaurants, everywhere that they meet. Um, they arrest them, confiscate their belongings, their houses. Most of these Christians are subjected to intensive and often abusive interrogations. They are often tortured physically and mentally, whether it's a white torture or physical black torture. Most of these Christians who've been arrested, sentenced, charged with criminal um, charges, mainly acting against national security, face lack of due process of their trials. The case of my parents, Pastor Victor Betamras and Shamiram Isavi, is a case in point. In 2019, at least five, six times, they were told to go to the court for their court hearing, only to go there and to hear that their case has been canceled or postponed for various reasons. The latest was the court was too crowded. It's been two and a half years that my parents are dealing with court cases and trials and hearings. My father was arrested in 2014 during a Christmas gathering. He spent 65 days in solitary confinement, quite similar to what Marianne was um, explaining, in a small room, two into one and a half meter, two meters, don't know what it is in an American measurement, you can Google it later, um, with no lights, no air, insects, um, dirt in the blankets. Um, he had infections in his teeth, in his water in his lungs, um, injured shoulder, not in a very healthy 
uh, status when he came out of the solitary confinement after 65 days. They put him in a suite, they call it. It's, it's a big room with about 20, 30 other prisoners. And before he left prison, I was sharing that story yesterday, before he left prison, as he was walking out of the corridor, the prisoners were standing shouting hallelujah, taking him out of prison. My brother is today in prison. He was arrested in 2016 during a picnic gathering was in prison for two months, was sentenced to another four months in prison, and on 5th of January this year, he said to submit himself um, to endure the rest of his sentences. My mother is sentenced to five years in prison, my father 10 years in prison. On 24th of February, in a few weeks, they will face their final court hearing, if it takes place. And if it does, we do really pray that their sentence will be dropped and that they can practice their faith in peace, in dignity, in freedom as they ought to. I want to share one last story with you before I finish. Marzi already mentioned um, that they received letters. Um, many prisoners received letters, cards, pictures. And it's amazing. Thank you so much for your prayer. I'm going to encourage you to continue pray. And one reason is that one of our young members, a dear friend of mine who was in prison for one year, came out, had to go for a court hearing. And before he went to the court, they told him, they called him and said, listen, deny your faith and you can walk free. We'll drop all charges. We'll drop all sentences. It's all going to be fine. Just deny your faith. Now, with his elderly mother, they went to the court. The mother was screaming, crying, and says, just deny him by words. You, you can believe in your heart. You, you, you can do whatever you want. Just when we go there, just by words, say, I don't believe in him. Do it for me. I can't go through the whole process with my son going to prison all the time. And he said, looking at her face, tears in her eyes, broken heart, everything I put my family through for one year, I said, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to deny my faith just because of her. In that moment, he received text messages with pictures of cards, Bible verses that many believers across the world have been praying for him. He said, sitting there, going through those messages, looking at all those pictures, seeing how many Christians stand in faith and pray for me. I said, how can I, how can I backstab my own brothers and sisters? How can I deny my faith when thousands of Christians pray for me? I'm not doing that. If not for myself, if not for my family, for their faith, I have to stand. I have to stand strong so their faith will be encouraged and their prayer makes me stand strong in prison. He went in and he said, do you know this Bible verse in Proverbs? For the abandoned heart, I have actually written, for, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That was his answer. He says, my heart is filled with love for Jesus. My mouth cannot proclaim something different. And today, this is the situation with hundreds of Christians in prison. They stand in for their faith. They proclaim Jesus before they go to prison, like these 
ladies. They go to prison, they proclaim Jesus. They come out of prison, they proclaim Jesus. It's their faith. Their heart is filled with him. It is the truth. And I do believe there's a fear broken in Iran. People are standing in their faith. And it is because of your prayers. And it's because you're standing. These people can stand. People say to my father, leave the country, come out. We hope that he will come out. We really do. But his answer is this. I stand in, in the country. He's been in prison. He's been, he had interrogation, all this stuff. And he says, I stand firm so that my story may encourage you Christians in Europe, in America, who are free, so that you may be strengthened in your faith. You stand in prayer for us so that we are encouraged, so that we are strengthened to carry on any persecution. Please continue pray. God is hearing. God is answering. Raise awareness. Speak about it. You are the voice of persecuted brothers and sisters today in, in prisons in Iran and all across the world. Raise awareness. Talk about it. Pray for them. Thank you for being a family. Thank you for being here. Ariel Del Turco is the research assistant for FRC's Center for Religious Liberty. Ariel, it's so good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Matthew. All right. So we just listened to a really uh, powerful talk from three uh, Iranian women. Um, really emotional. I learned a lot that I didn't know about what was going on in Iran. You know, I knew it was bad, but uh, the degree to which these things are going on, the prison and in tor the imprisonment, the, the torture, and it, like even killing of Christians. It's so funny, like we bring these women here to shed light on this sort of thing, and like a lot of these people like me don't know what's going on. How, what do you think are other ways that we can shed light on what's going on over there? Yeah, I think that's really the biggest challenge. It's bringing awareness to an issue that feels so far away from us right. and also getting people to engage and care about what's happening there. Mm -hmm. So, and even the ladies, when they were wrapping up their remarks, mm -hmm. their reminder to the audience was to pray for these people. Right. And if we can get American Christians to pray for the persecuted church elsewhere, especially in Iran, as we're talking about today, I think that's really going to build a compassion within them and build momentum to actually see a movement in the U.S. that's going to affect change. Yeah. it's It was interesting. I, I actually was surprised that she had said, I think it was Mariam who had said the, or no, sorry, it wasn't Mariam. It was, um, it was Debrina who said that Protestants actually seem to have, amongst the Christians, the Protestant uh, denominations have even more trouble than even like the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholics do, right? Because she said that yeah. their churches, they can be open with, you know, certain regulations, which are a problem, but that it's even worse for other, pro I don't know if you understand, you know, the, the distinctions between why they let that sort of thing happen, but why, why Christians being such a, why are they such a target? Well, as you said, that's interesting. In Iran, they'll allow, to a certain degree, the historic churches, the Assyrian church, the Armenian um. church, these people who have like always historically embraced Christianity and actually speak different languages as their first language. They'll allow them to be Christian and keep to themselves. But when we have Christians converting to the faith from a Muslim background, that's when the regime really feels threatened. And... Uh, Iran is by nature an Islamic Republic, as right. in their title. So when 
people are converting to a different ideology, to them, they consider that a national security threat. And we're seeing Muslim background believers even being charged with national security related charges just for embracing Christianity. Right. Just like Debrina's family, I think her I think all her family who's in prison, they all had charges related to that sort of thing. Right. About, you know, sort of generic yeah. crimes of treason and that sort of thing. That's funny that they, so I guess it's like they don't feel as much of a threat with these Christians like the Catholic and Orthodox who've been there because they were just there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I guess they can, since they could establish an Islamic right. state there with them being there, they think that's okay. But once, once their own people start defecting, right. it's like they start getting scared. Exactly. But how how do you think that Americans, you know, Christian Christian Americans or even any Americans, I mean, a lot there's plenty of non-Christian Americans who feel this this plight and want to help. How do you think we can get involved in this? Of course, aside from praying being one of the most powerful things we could do. But, right. but more, you know, concrete materially in the ten, in the temporal world. <laughs> yeah, I think the other answer is advocacy and for American citizens, just one way to advocate is to contact their representatives and let them know Mm -hmm. we actually care about the Christian minorities and these other places that are just constantly abused by their own government. Because if you don't tell your congresspeople that you care about this issue, no one else is going to raise it to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, these communities overseas certainly aren't going to contact your representatives for you. You have to be that voice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's a really concrete way. And then another way is to just continue to advocate and speak out. Um, and as you said in your introduction, to raise awareness on this issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one's going to act if they're not aware. And I think awareness mm-hmm. is the big first hurdle we need to face. Right. Is Has there been any policy you know of that to sort of look to to expand upon that's been really helpful or any policies you can think of that should be enacted as a good first step or you're continuing steps based on what's been done already? Well, in the case of Iran, really what the Trump administration has been quite good at doing Mm -hmm. and what needs to continue to happen is that we need to tie their human rights record and their religious freedom record to any sort of uh, nuclear treaty, any type of deal or negotiation we enter with that country. I mean, they need to know that their actions that they take against their religious communities are going to have consequences economically. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that encouraged me even more than what we're doing here is the fact that they'd also mentioned that the the underground church is, like, in Iran is, like, the fastest growing anywhere. It, yeah. It's ironic to see that in the places where you have the most persecution, you have the most stalwart people. You know, it, it, for, since, like, time immemorial when there's been persecution, there's been... Um, it's like from those ashes you get the most fertile ground of, of growing up. Those sorts of things. So I think that's that's really encouraging too. How can we within the United States sort of develop this culture where people care more, they're aware more about the religious persecution, not just going on internationally, but uh, domestically, and how that relates to how we care about uh, you know other Christians um, all over the world. You yeah. know, because it seems like religious liberty is something we we fight here, and it's like that that whole uh, that whole fight has to get overcome itself. Aside from all the the international issues, yeah, I think the biggest way just to foster um, religious liberty in your own country is to use it. We need to be like we heard stories 
from Iran about the courage that it takes to just have first of all, choose to be a Christian and identify as a Christian in a place where it's not always legal to do so if you're coming from a Muslim background, Mm -hmm. but also to live out their faith openly. I mean, these ladies evangelized and they face enormous risk for doing so. The risk we face in the U.S. is mostly just social pressure. And if we can't stand up to social pressure and live out our faith, we are not at all fostering Mm. a Mm. society that respects religious liberty. We're fostering a society that runs over religious liberty. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, you did a great job hosting. You know, I think you really got the best out of them, and um, so it was really cool to have to have this lecture where you were hosting, and then also bring you in here, having spoken to them and, and experience with them. I'm sure. I think you probably spoke to them afterward and and before. You know, as you greeted them coming in, so that must have been a really special time. But um, we'll uh, make sure we pray for them and their families as they continue to face that persecution and hope that, um, especially that, um, that Debrina's family can, can all get out of prison. So thanks for joining us, Ariel. Thank it was a pleasure to have me. you. And we'll have you back for more of this uh, international religious freedom stuff. Real I'm looking good. forward to it. All right. For more from Lecture Me, go to frc.org slash lecture me.